Good morning. Um, our first reading for today is Acts chapter 16, verses 35 to 38. Listen now to the word of the Lord. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. The word of the Lord. It's my great pleasure to uh, introduce today's guest speaker, the Reverend Charles Gilmer. Uh, I'll just provide a brief uh, introduction. Uh, A graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, the Reverend Charles Gilmore served with uh, the Campus Crusade for Christ for over 20 years. He is the founding president of the Impact Movement. He's an ordained Baptist minister and was honored with the Doctor of Divinity degree uh, from Carver College in 2006 in recognition of his years of ministry to African American students and young professionals. Uh, he is the author of a book, A Cry of Hope, A Call to Action. Um, he recently earned his degree of uh, Master's of Divinity degree from, from Princeton Theological Seminary and will be a PhD candidate in New Testament um, theology at Duquesne University. A native of Charleston, West Virginia, the Reverend Charles Gilmer has been married for 39 years and has been blessed with six children. Welcome. Join me in welcoming uh, our sister. this on? Yes. Um, I stepped on this as I was getting up and uh, pulled it off my tie. I hope that's not a sign of things to come. <laughs> um, it's really an honor to be with you all this morning uh, in Pastor David's stead. Um, I always see it as a sacred honor when I'm given the opportunity to proclaim God's word to God's people. Uh, it is uh, also a pleasure to be here with my friends. Um, Doe and Enoch uh, from Princeton Seminary. Uh, I've actually noticed, uh, Doe and I were uh, in uh, Greek class together a few years ago, and, uh, but I actually noticed Enoch first because Enoch would always ask the best questions when there was a guest lecture on campus. Um, yeah, and, and I know Pastor Choi works hard at teaching and preaching because when I was introduced to him formally a couple of days ago, I realized I had seen his face multiple times in the Princeton Seminary Library. Uh, where he spends a lot of time studying and preparing for the messages he does here. And so pray with me that my message uh, this morning does justice to the standard that he has set. I also ask, uh, bring greetings from my wife, Rebecca. She is a senior at Princeton Seminary. I graduated last spring. She's getting ready to graduate in over a month. She would be here today, but she's actually on a travel course in India, um, preaching in diverse contexts. And so... Uh, she's not able to be with us, but she would want me to say hello for her. 
but as we begin, before we get into the scripture, you might be wondering, what does that text have to do with what it means to follow Jesus? I actually think it's important. So uh, we're going to talk about it for a few minutes this morning. But before we do that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity to assemble again. We thank you that we live in a country where we can assemble freely without fear of uh, persecution or recrimination. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word, uh, that in it we find abundant riches to guide and instruct us, allow us to learn, uh, to plumb its depths, to bring out of it that which will help us to live our lives more in keeping with Uh, the calling you've placed on our lives in a way that allows us to honor uh, our Lord Jesus Christ and be a witness for him here on this earth. Father, I pray that you speak this morning, uh, despite the limitations, the frailty, the inadequacy of the vessel through whom the message comes. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, When I thought of what I might share with you today when I was invited to come, uh, a particular topic quickly came to mind. Uh, When I was in campus ministry, uh, dealing primarily with African-American students, uh, the question of the relationships between one's ethnicity, one's sort of national or political loyalty, and our Christian identity was often posed. Um, You know, and and the ministry I served with was predominantly white, and so it would often come in the form of, is Christianity the white man's religion? When I became national director, of, and so just so you understand, the first 11 years of my uh, service in campus ministry was always on uh, historically black campuses. I was in Atlanta, at Morehouse and Spelman Colleges, and then uh, in Washington, D.C. at Howard University. Uh, and then I was asked to take this national role of uh, being the national director of ethnic student ministries. And so I was charged with helping this ministry to do a better job of reaching uh, all eth- American ethnic minorities, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Latino-Americans, Native Americans. And I discovered that this question, while we have different experiences, uh, those audiences have some things in common. <laughs> we are subject to be treated as other. Uh, whether our ancestors came from Africa or Asia or Latin America, or perhaps were here when Europeans arrived, uh, in this country, we, which espouses liberty and justice, we sometimes find ourselves not feeling truly free, uh, not being treated as equal. And, and our pleas for and reliance on colorblindness have left most of us who've tried that feeling frustrated. Uh, and we, were, we process as we respond to this in different ways. Some of us immerse ourselves in our culture uh, and defy anyone to rip it away from us. We look down on those who are not as black or Spanish or Korean or Chinese or whatever we may be. Some of us buy into the notion that Jesus is all that matters and that our culture of origin is irrelevant. Uh, We are fed messages that our cultures are sick, that our families are warped, that to be true disciples of Christ, we must come out from among them and, and, and identify in this sort of generic way. And yet, Subtly, in this country, uh, as an ethnic, if you're an ethnic minority, there remains this disquiet, this restlessness, because in our hearts, we're increasingly aware that we're exchanging one corrupt culture for yet another corrupt culture. We still have the flavor of Korea or China, Vietnam, or in my case, Africa, in our hearts, yet we are asked to learn, understand, and internalize European-American values and ways. And some of them are good and some of them are not. Uh, 
And if we are honest, some of us are a little confused. Um, we're not sure how to bring all these things together. Are we Asians, or in my case, an African who just happens to be in America? Are we Americans who just happen to be from those places? Are we, or are we just Christians and none of that other stuff matters? And I think some of us look in the mirror some mornings, depending on what's happened in the news or what happened in your classroom or maybe in your workplace, and we ask ourselves, or even perhaps we address the question to God, who am I? Who am I? I want to challenge you this morning to embrace your identity as God has given it to you. Um, I want to expose you to a biblical model to guide you as to as you wrestle with how we should view ourselves in light of these dynamics that sometimes seem to be pulling us in different directions. And that example is the Apostle Paul. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And, And I want to look at Paul for a few minutes this morning to see how he dealt with the various dimensions of his identity. And I'm going to state my conclusion at the outset, and that is that Paul saw himself as a Hebrew Roman Christian. A Hebrew Roman Christian. Paul, as we read in the scriptures, was fully engaged with his Hebrewness. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-two, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. In Philippians 3, 5, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, in other words, nobody could out-Jew me. <laughs> um, and this part of his identity was clear. As a matter of fact, this was where his primary zeal was. He had been a Pharisee. The group committed to preserving the, the spiritual, the, the cultural, and the ethnic integrity of the Jewish people. He was defending his community. He was representing his culture. He was enforcing a certain conformity to that culture. And we know from Romans 9 to 11 that even after his conversion, his heart was for his people. He longed to see them uh, respond to the gospel, to embrace Jesus as their Messiah. He went so far that in Romans 9, 3, he says that if he could exchange his own salvation so that his people would come to know Christ, he would do that. But clearly, he loved his people and he embraced his Jewishness, his ethnic and cultural roots. But then Paul did not despise his Roman citizenship. The passage we read this morning in Acts 16 uh, is an interesting passage. We don't think about it a lot. Uh, Dr. Eric Moretto, a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, actually wrote his dissertation on this passage uh, because it reveals something I think it is quite fascinating. And, and I think a lot of times when we read it, we just sort of gloss over it. We don't think about it deeply to realize how dramatic this moment was and what Paul was doing when he responds to the situation he was in. Now, you know that, that they had been uh, arrested for preaching the gospel. They had caused a riot. And so uh, um, the, the Jews had stirred up the, the Roman authorities. They had arrested them, flogged them and cast them in jail overnight. And so in the morning, they wake up and, and they and they decide to, to let them out of the prison um, saying, let these men go in verse 35. And when Paul heard this, he said, um, wait a minute, we're Roman citizens and you've treated us this way. So obviously it was against 
Roman law for them to have been handled in this way. Um, he says, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So what we read in this passage, or what's revealed in this passage, is that Paul used his Roman citizenship to gain more freedom for the proclamation of the gospel. And I think this entails more drama than we often consider when we're reading this. Because Rome was the oppressor of the Jewish people. Rome was an empire that had occupied his homeland, a foreign power that had occupied his homeland. And among the Jews, there was a lot of contention over the role of the Romans in their society. The party of the zealots, which is mentioned, were those who wanted to overthrow Roman rule. And if you know anything about um, the history of the early church, they eventually led the Jews to revolt against Rome, leading to the sacking of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and the forced mass uh, uh, dispersion of the Jews. When we talk about the Jewish diaspora, that's, this is why, because the zealots actually won the day among the Jewish people and led them to revolt violently against the Roman government. Um, so this is, and this is about 30 years after the story we read about in this passage. And even among the Pharisees, who were not revolutionaries, but they wanted to have nothing to do with the Roman authorities. They were intruders, interlopers, and viewed as unclean. When you read the controversies in the book of Acts about the inclusion of Gentiles, it was often Paul's old buddies, the Pharisees, who were stirring up the trouble. They were the ones who didn't want uh, these, these, this new religion to prosper. And so Paul was part of that culture, that milieu. So, so Paul understood, but Paul understood something. He, he had been, we don't really understand how it came about that he became a Roman citizen. Scholars speculate about it. But, but the fact that he was a Roman citizen is clear. And he understood that that citizenship gave him opportunities, provided him freedom, gave him privileges that were critical, valuable assets for the proclamation of the gospel. So while he does not seem to have taken particular pride in it, because we don't see it mentioned elsewhere in his various writings, Paul did not despise or disavow his Roman citizenship. And then thirdly, uh, we see that clearly, obviously, you know this, that, that he identified uh, strongly with being a Christian. Because more, so more than anything else, above everything else, Paul understood that his primary identity, his primary allegiance, his primary loyalty, and the ultimate decider of all things in his life was his relationship with Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 11, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have endured I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was clear that all of who he was and might become was meaningless apart from his relationship with Christ. All that he did was in light of that relationship. And so uh, this morning, what I'm asking you to do is to look at Paul as presenting a pattern for us to follow. The way in which Paul integrated the various aspects of his identity is something that we should seek to apply in our own lives. Uh, by adopting a posture that I am an ethnic American Christian. And that sounds simplistic. Uh, Tony Evans wrote a, a message, maybe a book about this, in which he talks about being a uh, Christian African American. And, and that's just grammatically incorrect. <laughs> because when you put African American at the end, American is a noun, and the other two are the adjectives that are modifying the noun. Christian needs to be at the end because that is what you are. That is the noun that defines the core of your identity. And yet, um, we need to embrace all these dimensions, these modifiers, these adjectives about who we are because we are ethnic. I'm an African-American. Uh, that, that culture, that history, that story uh, is part of who I am. I'm a fifth-generation black Baptist. When I went to Princeton Seminary, well, actually, before I went to Princeton Seminary, I was applying to another seminary, and they asked me, are you, and they filled in the blank of what their tradition is. And I was like, uh, I'm not sure. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, because I'm a fifth-generation black Baptist. I come from a very particular religious tradition. I don't need your tradition to become my tradition in order to be a follower of Christ. Uh, um, and, and the reason why this is important is that we need to recognize that our unique ethnicity, particularly if you're not European-American, uh, is not an alternative or an aberration from a European norm. It is a God-given history that, that is important to the body of Christ. Why? Because each culture of the world is a mixture of the dual reality of what it means to be human. In other words, you are created in the image of God, right? But you're also fallen. Yes, we can all agree with that, right? So every culture that's produced in the world manifests aspects of the image of God. Missiologists will tell you this in a minute, that when they go around the world and encounter various cultures around the world, there are things they discover in those cultures that have a echo or a resonance with what we know about God from God's word. But we're all fallen. And so the cultures we produce have manifestations of our fallenness woven into them as well. And, and, and the, 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 so when the gospel is implanted in a culture, when it is incarnated in the culture, it has the opportunity to reflect unique and distinctive, distinctive aspects of who God is. But it also has a distinctive challenge to sort of deal with uh, the, the aspects of fallenness that are part of that cultural heritage. And so I think it's important for us 
as followers of Christ to embrace our ethnic identities so that we are part of the process of bringing that cultural voice to the global conversation about who Jesus is. Because if you're only dealing with your own culture, if you're only looking at it out of your own cultural background, you will miss some things about who Jesus is. If you've studied, you know, as a seminarian, I had to study church history. And at Princeton, it really focuses on European church history. And if you read European church history, you'll realize that even this so-called Christian culture was pretty jacked up. (laughs) Out of their cultural blind spots, they developed some beliefs, some practices, some things that they did that are horrific, (laughs) just horrendous. And it's one of the things that as we seek to proclaim the gospel, the people who know about that history We have to overcome. But if we recognize that reality, if we deal with that history, if we embrace the ethnicities that comprise the body of Christ, we'll realize that no one culture gets it all right. And no one culture can speak authoritatively about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We all need each other. So what I'm saying is it's good and biblical to embrace that ethnic identity. It leads to maturity. It's Paul's pattern. And so we can embrace that aspect of who we are without any hesitation or without any sense of ambivalence. But we're also, if you're in this country, you're an ethnic American Christian. Most of us anyway, I think, are Americans. And so our backgrounds, our ethnic backgrounds have been molded, shaped, and altered by our experiences here So we're no longer simply, you know, Chinese or Korean or African or whatever your background is. And and some of us have ancestors who are European, even though we may identify as as African-American. That's my story. But but our ancestors or our predecessors forged communities, raised families that negotiated that cultural identity in a variety of ways here in this land. And it's produced some rather distinct sets of dynamics. But no matter how we came to be here, what our people's history has been in this country, we are citizens or at least residents here, and it happens to be the most powerful country on the planet. Very much analogous to the Roman Empire in Paul's day. And because of that, we enjoy a standard of living that's better than most other people in the world. We have educational and economic opportunities in this country that are hard to surpass on this planet. We have resources at our disposal, opportunities at our fingertips that most people in the world can only dream about. And because of that, we have a God-given obligation to make the most of what he has entrusted to us. In Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And so our Americanness needs to be embraced as well. And in whatever challenges our peoples face, our families, or we as individuals have faced, uh, the, uh, of the injustices of this land, um, we, gotta re- we have to recognize that human beings may have meant it for evil, had their own selfish ends in mind, but God means it for good. We need to internalize Romans 8, 28 and realize that God has a purpose for for each one of us to fulfill. You're not in America by accident. 
God has placed you here and there's an obligation to make the most of this opportunity. And all of that's helpful, but again, it only really comes together when we look at it in the full light of our primary identity as Christians. You know, you're an ethnic American Christian. That's, that's the most, being a Christian is the most important thing about you. And so I can, I feel like I can worship in any church that is proclaiming Jesus Christ. I can enjoy the diversity of worship traditions that are emerging from all over the planet. Now, there's one that I find myself most comfortable in. There's one that kind of speaks my heart language. I, I get goosebumps when I hear the songs that my, 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 uh, my home church in West Virginia used to sing. Uh, those things really mean something to me. But, but I can enjoy and appreciate a variety of worship traditions because my citizenship is in heaven. Uh, and wherever our ancestors may be from, uh, and, and the fact that we, and while we live here in America at this present time, none of these places is our ultimate destination. Once we come to know Christ, we come a part of a much greater, much higher, much uh, a more significant, eternal, and wonderful destiny. All this stuff is only temporary. In Colossians, uh, the writer says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is the one to whom we look to define ourselves. He is the one we are to emulate. He is our ultimate role model. It may sound a little simplistic, but people are, are, are talking about how we don't have enough positive role models in the black community and how we need to mentor in, in those things. But I really believe that whatever our culture may be, Jesus is our ultimate role model. And he's the one who can mentor us. He's the one who can show us the way because he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Even Paul, when he said, follow me, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Ultimately, who we're looking to follow is Jesus. And so our ultimate concern is to build Christ's kingdom, not just your own success and comfort, uh, not even a better uh, Korean American or Vietnamese American or other Asian community in this country, not to make a better country. Those things are good things, but they're elusive goals. Uh, you know, as an African American, I just watched the way in which um, my, my, my people have sought to undo the, the segregation that existed in this country. And that was the right thing to do. But in many respects, it doesn't accomplish the, the ultimate health and wholeness of our community. You know, we even got to the point of electing a black president, but things have not materially gotten better for, the, for those who are struggling the most. I think it's because we subtly lose sight of Matthew 6.33, where it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so my challenge to you today is that to use Paul as your example, to embrace this complex identity that is ours as ethnic Christians, this, this, this complicated picture of being an ethnic American Christian. But, but I think if you keep that in mind as you go through your life, as you make decisions, as you interact with the experiences around you, that it will help you feel more whole, more integrated, more able to know how to 
deal with the things that confront you. So in conclusion, uh, there's a few things that we have to just emphasize. (laughs) Some of it you know, maybe all of it you know, but I think it's important to be reminded. One is that our Christian brothers and sisters are more our family than our racial or ethnic or even biological brothers and sisters. Because if heaven is really our home, if Jesus is really our ultimate uh, point of identification, uh, we are connected to everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And we need, to, we need to guard ourselves as if acting as if we don't need them. I think one of the problems we have in this country today is that the enemy has found a way to get Christians from various backgrounds on opposite sides of the public conversation. And it leaves us without any moral authority or any uh, actual influence, real influence in the society. Secondly, is that uh, America is our home. We need to appreciate the opportunities that our presence here affords us. And so we need to pray for our leaders, whether we agree with them or disagree with them, whether we like them or don't like them. We need to pray for our leaders and for the prosperity of this country, not so that we can make America great again. As an African-American, I find that that, that that phrase is just like so fundamentally a non-starter. I think any African-American who can say that phrase is insane. <laughs> whatever you're, whether you're conservative or liberal, whatever your politics may be, that's a nutty statement. I do not want to be a slave again. Thirdly, your ethnic heritage is to be valued, celebrated, and understood. God doesn't make mistakes, and he made you who you are. God will use who you are as an ethnic American Christian to help win others to himself. And for my European brothers and sisters, I say, you're a European American Christian. <laughs> you need to recognize that that's a distinctive identity in and of itself. In other words, part of doing away with the European normativity is to recognize your own ethnic distinctiveness. People say, I'm just an American. That's nonsense. <laughs> The only just Americans are Native Americans, and our country doesn't really embrace them as being the identifiers of this country or, or, or the, uh, the norm in this country. Uh, yeah, and, and for those of us who are ethnic minorities, I know there are times when our society makes us feel like we're uh, other, inadequate, like God made a mistake, but he did not. Uh, And some of us even deal with feelings of anger about some of that. Let it go. It doesn't do anybody any good. Um, You know, it's it's understand when you see unrighteousness to get angry, but the Bible says be angry, but sin not. If we allow anger to fester, it becomes bitterness and bitterness is a cancer that will eat your soul. But remember that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. I love and I'm actually planning to write my dissertation on Revelation 5, 9, where it talks about how around the throne, there'll be people from every people and tribe and tongue and nation assembled around the throne. The fact that uh, the revelator saw the ethnic distinctiveness and uses four different words to describe it around the throne to me says there's something uh, um, special there's something significant in God's um, plan for eternity that these various voices are needed. These various distinctions are are valuable in our joint proclamation of worship and praise of God. And as one thing I do agree with that comes out of the Reformed tradition is that the Reformation is still in process. God is still at work perfecting his church. And the body of Christ globally will never be what it needs to be until we are all of our cultures 
are represented and respected and valued in the global conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, We all need to come to that table as peers and equals. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, we thank you again for your word. Lord, I pray that as we read your word, that you would allow us to relate the various parts of it, that we would see how these things fit together to help us understand who we are, where we are, and what it is that you're calling us to do. Uh, Lord, enlighten our minds, fill us with your spirit afresh, and allow us to embrace our histories, whatever they may be, that we might use them to glorify and honor you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh,